0: All right, good morning. If you have a Bible, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're continuing our series in Ephesians called New Identity. Um, I apologize, I'm going to be one-handed today. I hope that won't be a distraction for you. I broke my thing this morning. Snap. That's a bad noise to hear when you're adjusting a little loud break. Um, We're continuing this series called A New Identity. And in this series, what we've seen is that God is the one that gives us our identity, right? He's the one that tells us who we are, genuinely. Um, and we're going to have to fight against the habit we have of believing whatever abusive things we've been told in the past, or believing whatever failures we've made, or believing even whatever successes we've accomplished define who we are. God says that, that universally, all mankind, we are sinners before God. And so our fundamental position is e- either still remaining in our sin or being forgiven sinners who by faith trust in Jesus to cleanse us and to forgive us of our sin. And so we have this adopting love, this redeeming love becomes the identity of God's people. And so we've seen this again and again, and now we're beginning to see it in chapter 6 applied to then the the relationships and the the way that we relate to authority uh, in whatever place, whatever role we have in society. This morning we're going to look at it applied to children uh, children and parents, and so the concept is that we are a people of discipline. The discipline is actually good for us, that if we know God loves us, then we accept his discipline as a, as a good thing, as a beautiful thing, because we know that he wants our, our best. So if you'll read with me, we'll start in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll just remind you again of, of kind of the broader context we've been looking at back in chapter 5, where it said to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And then he came down to the end of that section in chapter five, where he said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So because we're submitted to him, that enables us to entrust ourselves to earthly authorities. If our earthly authorities were the only ones really in charge, that'd be a scary world. But we know that there's a God who is ultimately in charge. And so that enables us to then trust the temporary authorities in our life here and now. So with that as context, let's read Ephesians chapter six. If if you want to follow along in one of the Black Bibles, we're on page 979. Page 979 in the Black Bibles, it's Ephesians 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let me pray for us and ask God to teach us this morning. God, we pray that you would guide us. We ask that you would teach us what it means to be a disciplined people. We pray for those of us that are parents, that you would teach us how to discipline and love the way that you do uh, and not with anger. God, we pray for those of us that are children or even those of us that are adults that may be under some other kind of authority where we work. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us to be a disciplined people, to accept, uh, to submit to authority knowing that ultimately you're in charge God, we pray that you teach us this morning and we pray in jesus name amen how many of you here have uh seen the movie finding nemo it's kind of a classic of our culture yeah great movie right some really good lessons there in that movie and and if you remember where the movie starts uh you've got nemo the the little child fish the little son um disobeying his daddy his daddy marlin right so we got these two fish in the sea and we've got Nemo uh, disobeying and wandering too far, his dad saying to come back he he wanders away and he gets captured by the scuba diver and and so just in that that opening conflict, we see the dangers of disobedience, right and there's been moral tale after moral tale after moral tale in every culture of the world that's that's illustrated this for us, right? You disobey your parents, bad things are going to happen and the Hebrew people and, and us as the multicultural New Testament people of God, we agree with that too. We we would say, yeah, there's pain in disobedience and there's joy and there's blessing in obedience. And, and Paul affirms that. You, you, you see, and we might be tempted to think that because we're all equal before God, because we're all forgiven, because everything in our past is behind us now, that it, it doesn't matter anymore, right? That we have this new freedom that obedience doesn't matter. But Again and again, the biblical story is that obedience is a blessing. It's a good thing, right? Because our heavenly daddy, our heavenly father loves us, and so he disciplines us in love. There's this great verse in Hebrews that I want to read to you in Hebrews 12. You don't have to turn to it, but, but you might look this up later. In Hebrews 12, it says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or be weary when you're reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Saying when you endure difficulty in life, you can accept that difficulty as, as a blessing. Uh, even, even when they're bad things that, that maybe weren't something that uh, that was intended for righteousness, right? When Joseph talks to his brothers and says, what you intended for evil, God has intended this for good. God could use those things that, that evil people did. He can actually use that for good. It can help us to grow. It help help us to learn and to cling to him. In Hebrews 12, it says, if you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, Right? Some good, some bad. Some of us have a bad history of discipline. But he says some of them did this for a little while as best it seemed to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So a couple of things I want to define here is that he's saying that earthly fathers discipline their kids because they love them, even when they do a terrible job of it, okay? Okay. Even when they do a terrible job, they're trying to train them for righteousness, and he's saying, how much more? There's a contrast here. Earthly fathers do a crummy job of it, but our heavenly Father does it perfectly. So he loves us. So I just want to speak to those of you here that I know just statistically that there are many of you here that have endured abuse, that you've endured the wrong kind of discipline. So when you even hear me say the word discipline, you think of something terrible. And I want you to understand that God defines it differently, than whatever abuse you may have endured. That discipline means training. It means redirecting someone in the right direction. And God does that for you because He loves you. And so if you are disciplined in anger, in vengefulness, in abuse, understand that that's not the discipline that God is talking about. It says that our Father disciplines us perfectly. And so to whatever degree your father, your mother let you down, understand that the reason you know they let you down is because there is a perfect ideal father to compare them to. And so this morning what I want us to do is I want us to understand how we as Christians still need to submit to the discipline of God, but also how we need to incorporate that into our our daily lives. We have to be a people of discipline. That's what it means to walk with Christ. It can be a good thing because we know he loves us. So the first thing that we see in the text that I think is kind of where our culture starts, what we need to understand is that discipline is actually good for us. First thing we need to understand is that discipline is good for us. We live in a culture that is an anti-discipline culture. Right, We live at a time in, in history where more and more we're becoming a soft people. And uh, sometimes, for legitimate reasons, people are, are reacting to bad discipline. But sometimes we're just lazy and soft. Right? I mean, we're, just, we're a culture that doesn't like difficulty, that doesn't like discipline. And we need to understand that culture is pushing back against us, telling us that discipline is mean or discipline is harsh or to, to discipline or to cause discomfort at all. Is is to be angry, and we have to understand that biblically it's it's a separate. They're two separate issues, right? I mean, even in this text at the end, we'll see he says don't don't embitter your children. I right? don't provoke them to anger. So that's not the goal, but still we should discipline our children, and that's a sign of love. Um, the the idea is that discipline is actually a good thing. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents, right? For this is right. The word right, it's this uh, common word we see every time in the New Testament. You see the word righteousness or justice. It's the same word. It's just the standard word. That that is justice, to obey your parents. We're a disobedient people. We don't like that, right? I mean, maybe you're more obedient than I am, but I I don't like that. There's something in me that still recoils against that. Even as a redeemed person who knows that God is good and knows that what he says is true, there's something against me that wants to push back. It wants to say, no, you can't tell me what to do. And we have to recognize it, that, that that's kind of the cultural uh, air that we breathe. And it, as we recognize that, then that will help us to then better align ourselves with what God says is right and true and good. Discipline is good. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. I have a picture here of someone undergoing discipline because, I, again, I think we think of discipline in different ways. Here's a picture of someone disciplining themselves. This is something we used to do in sports. That's not actually me, that's somebody else, but he's he's running. We just played football last week, so I thought you might mistake me there, but and the boys won, by the way. That was terrible. I'm still limping here, but I don't know if you can tell, it's kind of blurry. He's dragging a tire, right? And so the concept for an athlete is that it's not good enough to just run, but you have to run in a way that's more difficult. It's more painful. That's discipline. You're training yourself. You're going to run more than you have to to get better at it. You're going to run harder than you have to. You're going to run hills or drag tires or do whatever you have to. Discipline is this idea of enduring temporary pain uh, for the purpose of strengthening yourself and helping your body to endure. We see this principle. Any of you that have done anything athletic or even if you're a musician You know, you see this principle in all kinds of areas of even just training in your job where you might do things that are repetitive or you might do things that are hard or painful. We call that discipline. You're you're training yourself to get better. And just recognize that's something that culturally more and more our culture doesn't believe in. Our culture thinks it's crazy. And so we have to understand that, that it's a good thing biblically. That the Bible sees a little discomfort as being okay. And that temporary pain is okay. It shapes us. It helps us to grow stronger. But we have to recognize that our culture is saying, no, 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 that's, that's mean or that's harsh or no, our, our life should be one of just pleasure and comfort. Now, now, I would argue there is something in our soul that recognizes that we're made for eternity, right? Like we're, we're made to not be sick anymore. We're, we're made for a place where everything works. That's that eternal part of us. We, we recognize that we are longing for heaven. In Romans 8, it talks about how all of creation is groaning and longing for everything to be made right. So, so I want to affirm that part of it, right? There's that side of you that, that wants things to be, ha, ah, you just want to be done, right? You don't want to have to fight anymore. You don't want to be sick anymore. You, you just want to be okay. And that's, that's the future we're heading for. That's the future that Jesus purchased for us through his resurrection, when he conquered sin and death, if we trust in him. That's where we're headed. But right now, we're not there yet, right? Right now, we still live in the struggle. We still live in the struggle. And, and basically, we, we are uh, set up for a life of, of discipline and, and struggle and striving. And that's a good thing. That's okay for us. God can use that to produce fruit in our life. Again, I've, I quote to you guys all the time how Paul talks about how, you know what i I'd rather die and go to heaven where everything's okay, but I feel like God has left me here to struggle and to suffer for the benefit of others. And really, that's every Christian. That's not just super Christian Paul, but all of us should have that, that mindset that God's left me this side of heaven to struggle and to strive to be fruitful, to benefit others. And so this is just this whole... I'm just trying to describe this whole concept of struggle, difficulty, and pain being something worth enduring and it being good for us, and then that... That affects us as Christians because then we begin to reinterpret our events and we begin to understand James 1 that says we can consider trials as a joy that help us develop perseverance and endurance, right? That's, that's a learned thing. It's not like a, you turn a switch and, hey, everything's awesome, even when I suffer. I mean, it's something you learn in the struggle, in prayer, in clinging to God in those painful moments. But it's something that applies to our life as Christians. It also applies to parenting, we, we have to reset our mindset and recognize that parenting is not just sheltering our kids from all pain, right? That can't be what parenting is. And throughout the Bible, there's this idea of disciplining your kids, disciplining them with, with temporary pain for greater thriving and greater health. And the most simple illustration is, I, I don't, I don't want to cause my kids any pain, but when they were little, I was willing to swat them on the hand or swat them on the behind so that they wouldn't run out in the street and get crushed by a truck, right? Like that, like w- when you put it in that perspective, it just seems like, well, of course, it's not that big of a deal. Um, Proverbs talks repeatedly about using the rod, right, chastising. And, I, and what I want to do is I want to just kind of give you some big picture concepts here that biblically, physical discipline, biblically, is we're told it's, it's okay and it's a good idea, now, it should never be done in anger, and it should never be abusive. And so for some of you, again, you, you're kind of hearing this through the filter of, well, I was abused or I saw abuse, and so I can't even imagine how that could be done lovingly. Uh, but I just want to, to kind of challenge you to consider, read the book of Proverbs, read through the New Testament. Discipline is, is set in this context of, of love, of care. And so just some specifics, if, if you do discipline your children physically, through spanking or whatever, I would just say an important thing to understand is it should never be done in anger because it's supposed to be for love. You're supposed to be helping them to understand your love for them and God's love for them. It shouldn't be done in anger. If you're angry, you need to cool off and do it later. Do it some other time. It should never cause injury, right? Because it's just supposed to be a, a temporary sting to help them learn a lesson. It's, it's a training thing. It's not... It's, you shouldn't hurt them. That, that's a line then that you've crossed if you've left a permanent mark or permanent damage of any kind. There's any sort of injury. The other thing that's really important to understand is you're not trying to set the scales of justice right in the world. You're not trying to extract payment from them. You're not making them pay for their sins. Jesus did that. Jesus paid for our sins. You are training them. So again I, I use the the tire dragging because I, I think that's how we need to understand discipline in our home. We're we're trying to train our kids like they're they're heading against a difficult world, a difficult life we're trying to train them. I mean it it's like drills and like running or whatever you may may do in other areas of life where you've trained and you've through repetition and through difficulty and through strain you've gotten better at something. That's that's what discipline should look like. It's shaping your children, helping them to grow, helping them to learn to obey, helping them to know that you're on their side. Just a couple of things I'd like to share. As we consider the idea of spanking, because I know, again, a lot of people have different perspectives on this. One is that uh, the studies that I've seen, when, when spanking is done in love, uh, it helps the kids to thrive. When spanking is done in anger, it has negative results. So I'll just, just tell you that there are studies that have shown that difference. When spanking is done at a younger age, it seems to help. And when spanking is done at older ages, it doesn't seem to work as well. So just from a sociological perspective, I would say some of these things we see in studies kind of line up with the perspective that we would see uh, biblically. Um, The other thing I want us to talk about, though, as well, is not just physical discipline on a daily basis, but as your kids get older, more and more you're going to have to allow them to struggle and uh, endure the realities of the difficulty out there in the real world. And so, again, we need to remember that discipline is good for us and hard things are good for us. And we need to more and more allow our kids to face the reality of the real world. That's a transition. I think when your children are younger, you give them artificial discipline and you train them so they don't run out in the street and get crushed, right? As they get older, hopefully that training has taken root and you begin allowing them more and more to experience the real world. More and more, slowly you become coach and advisor so that by the time they're launched, they know how to do this thing, right? They're ready to be independent by the time they're adults. You didn't just all of a sudden, you know, let go of all control and you've been high control before, but you need to ease off the reins bit by bit, year by year. Some, some books that I think would be helpful to, to uh, help you on this perspective if you're really just trying to understand biblical discipline. I've got four up here. One is called uh, Gospel-Centered Family. It's kind of short, big picture, understanding how the gospel affects family. One is called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Um, it gets more nitty-gritty talking about how discipline needs to be connected with the gospel and what it means. Another is grace-based parenting, which talks about setting up just the environment of grace in the home. If you struggle with, with legalism or if you come from or maybe feel like your family is a bit rigid uh, and kind of a, a religious extremist kind of situation, this book really helps you to understand how to, how to untie some of those knots. And then the last one is the new Dare to Discipline by James Dobson. Um, This is one that was written, I think, like 30 years ago now. But um, Dobson was just kind of on the forefront of Christians saying, hey, discipline's okay. It's it's good for kids. And he's a Christian psychiatrist. So he often writes from more of a kind of medical behavioralistic standpoint. He's not always as gospel-centered as some Christians wish he was, but still has some very good advice that would be helpful, I believe. The next thing that we see is that Discipline is promising. There's an actual promise of reward in discipline. So look at this in verse 2. It says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, a promise. Verse 3 says, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So that's the promise. The promise there is, is it'll go well with you and you'll live long in the land. He's quoting the Old Testament here. What he's saying is that obeying your parents actually results in good things, right? Good things will happen if you obey. As I already confessed earlier, I wasn't so good at that when I was a kid, um, so I don't know that I always experienced the benefits of that. Uh, but as we obey, generally, the older we get, we realize, well, my, my parents weren't so stupid after all, right? Like, yeah, they were they were all right. They had some good ideas. And and we see this biblically. As we obey, we receive blessings. There are good things in life. Uh, how many of you have ever heard the phrase snake oil salesman, you know, talking about someone that's trying to sell a cure-all, basically. I I found an old flyer for a snake oil, and it is actually promising that it will cure everything, right? And these are big promises here. Snake oil, liniment, guaranteed cure for rheumatism, acute, chronic, sciatic, neuralgic, inflammatory. It says it cures headaches, neuralgia, toothache, earache, backache, swelling, sprain, sore chest, swelling of the throat, contracted cords, muscles, stiff joints, everything, right? So they believe that if you I guess, I don't know if you rubbed it on you or drank it. I'm not sure. But anyway, if you use this stuff, it would just cure everything. And we've become very wary of these kinds of ads, right? I mean, we see these all the time for the, uh, you take the right allergy pill, every day we'll be sunny and happy, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, we're we're getting a little numb to these sorts of things. Um, But what I want you to see is that there there are biblical promises, right? There are biblical promises. and, And one of them is that obedience is a good thing that obedience really will bless you. And again, I want to challenge you that if, if you're under a boss that drives you crazy, ob- obedience will actually be a blessing in your life. And if you're still a child at home, o- obedience is a blessing. And parents, understand that this promise is really to your kids more than to you. And so you need to be praying about, what are ways I can help my child obey? How can I empower them to trust me and to see that obedience is a blessing how can i help them to have the mindset to see that obedience is a good thing because ultimately that's what god did for us right um the theological term for this is the third use of the law but but what happens is that god transforms our heart and then we actually start to see that the law is a good idea because before he transforms our heart and saves us and redeems us through jesus before that uh, we come to the law and we only feel condemned we're just repulsed by it. We just think, oh, I don't, I don't like that, or I can't live up to that, and we want to run the other direction. Or we do the kind of the religious legalist thing, and we say, hey, I'm perfectly keeping the law, and we're just ignoring half of it, right? And so we have this dysfunctional relationship with the law before God changes our heart and helps us to understand that he loves us. Once we know that he loves us, then when we read the word, we're like, hey, I think I think I might want to try this obedience thing, you know, like God loves me. He proved that to me. Jesus died for me. I'm going to try doing things the way God tells me to do them. And it may not be so bad after all because he loves me and because he's convinced me of that through the gospel. I now have a different mindset towards obedience. Help your kids to have that same kind of different mindset, right? Pray for them that they would understand the promise of obedience, not just externally trying to force them into it, but praying that they would come to that place. As, as parents, we, we fall easily for the snake oil, right? As parents, if you're like me, you know, I grew up in a broken home when I started having kids. It was scary. It was like, we don't know what in the world we're doing, right? And so you're easily kind of jumping from this cure-all to that cure-all, from this snake oil to that snake oil. There's all kinds of temptations we have, right? As parents, you think, maybe it's school. If we can just move into the right neighborhood, we'll Sure, we'll just pay twice as much as we need to for this house because it's in the right neighborhood and then that'll get our kids in the right school and if our kids are in the right school, then they'll be successful and obedient and happy in life, right? Or maybe it's not that right neighborhood. Maybe it's the the Christian school. So we're going to pay all this money for this Christian school. I'm a a fan of Christian schools. We've done that too, but it's not a cure-all, right? It's not going to fix everything in your kid's life. And so no matter no matter what you're lured to, recognize that there's not this one cure-all that's just going to fix everything for your kids. It's It's a spiritual transformation. This promise is made to your kids that as they obey, things will go well for them. And so we should, as parents, be on our knees praying, like, God, help me. Help me to figure this out. Help me to have wisdom. God, change my kids. Help my kids to desire to be obedient. Help my kids to understand who you are. Um, I, I've said before in other sermons, we, we did Proverbs back in the summer, I've said before that there's this balance we need as parents between both discipline and delight. You can't just do one or the other, right? Your kids need you to look them in the face and tell them that you love them. They, they need to know that. They need to get that, right? Their heart needs to feel loved. They also need to have firm, secure boundaries. You need to not raise them on the chaos method, right? They need to have security. You need to say no to them. They need both of those things. And again, a cure-all we often fall for is we, we go one side or the other. We think, well, I was abused, so I'm going to be my kid's best friend. Or I was raised by hippies, so I'm going to have a lot of strict rules, right? That, they need both. Right? They, they need you to love them and have fun with them, and they, they need rules and boundaries. And so don't fall for the cure-all, but pray. Pray for them. And obedience On their part, promises them blessing, long life, good life. The next thing I want us to think about is that discipline should be gospel-centered. And this is really just falling in line with with where we've gone with the whole book. I mean, the whole book has talked about the redeeming, saving, adopting love of God for us in Christ. And what it says then is that that shapes our behavior. And so he comes to verse 4 and he says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So he gives us this clear contrast, right? There's two ways here. I'm sure there's a million ways to to raise your kids and discipline them. But here Paul gives us two. Here Paul says there's provoking your kids to anger or there's disciplining them in the Lord. Disciplining them in the Lord, in that context, in that life, connecting them with the power and the redemption of God. Which one are you going to choose? He says if you're just making them angry, that's, that's not working. And I know I found myself in that position sometimes as a parent, right? I'm not a high-control person, and so sometimes I would go too far the other way and become high-control as a parent, and I would just draw lines in the sand and create battles when there didn't need to be one. And I would get caught into this trap of provoking my kids to anger just because they needed to know who was boss, right? Well, Well, they know who the boss is, and our job is to not provoke them to anger, but to discipline them and, and train them in the instruction of the Lord. We need to raise them in Christ, in Him. Again, what, what's the view of God that you have? Because that's going to affect how you're raising your kids. If you view God as abusive and angry, then that's going to affect how you raise your kids. If you view God as, as disinterested and distant, that's going to affect how you raise your kids. If you see discipline as a bad thing and out of bounds, then that's going to affect how you raise your kids. Do you understand in Jesus that God both delights in us and loves us and wants to discipline us for holiness and help us to do things right? The more you understand that, the more you're going to be able to share that with your kids. I have a picture here of someone teaching their kid to ride a bike. Um, Now, again, as I said, you know, a lot of us have bad memories from our kids, from our childhood. So if your dad, like, pushed you down or something, just push that out of your mind, okay? Don't think about that, but, but envision the dad who is really genuinely helping right? Who's coming alongside. And I would say as parents, our, our goal is for our kids to see us being on their side, right? Like we're helping them. We're helping them. That's, that's the God that's been revealed to us in Ephesians, the God who came to us and we were dead and helpless and he saved us and he made us alive and he enables us to obey. So pray and pursue God and pray beg God to give you wisdom and understand how you can come alongside your kids and help them. How can you help them to succeed? This translates to being a leader at work as well. If you're a leader, how, how are you living as a servant leader? How are you helping the people that work for you succeed? How are you equipping them? How are you empowering them? That's what discipline looks like. You expect things out of people, but you help them to achieve those goals as well. So I'd say the first thing that we need to understand is, is how God relates to us. That God is a God that comes to us as sinners, forgives our sin, and then enables us to succeed. Are you sharing that with your kids? Are you talking about it with them? Do you have that own understanding? We have a couple of books up here if you still struggle to understand God in that way. Uh, one is by Jerry Bridges called Transforming Grace. I would encourage you to get a copy of that. One is called Prodigal God by Tim Keller, another good one. It's really helpful. There's another one specifically on prayer. I've been talking a lot about how important prayer is. It's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Um, read those for yourself so you understand that. But I'll also say, read the Bible to your kids. Read the Bible to your kids. I have one up here called the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you're looking for a good one, there's another one called the Big Picture Story Bible. Those are two very good ones. Uh, almost all the other ones, I think, out there are terrible. So just that's just my opinion. Um, there's also one called My ABC uh, Bible Verses. It's a good one that, that we found really helpful for helping young children kind of elementary and even... Older toddlers understand what it means to, to walk with God as children. Um, but, but read the Bible to your kids. Read it to them. Help them to understand it in context of the gospel. This God that loves us, that is saving us, that is redeeming us. Um, I'll just wrap up reminding you with the story of Finding Nemo because it is such an epic piece of literature. Um, in that movie, Finding Nemo, the whole story, like the excitement Of the story is this father's redeeming love for his lost child. I mean, that's the story, right? I mean, there's some humor along the way, but that's the story. This father who's risking his life for his child's life. That's the kind of father that we have. That's the father that God has revealed himself as through Jesus. And the more we understand that, the more then we'll be able to discipline our children for their good. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us, we thank you that you give us new life through Jesus. And I pray that You'd help us to live a disciplined life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. God bless you. Maybe may be dismissed.